Hi, I'm David Freudberg. This podcast derives from the Humankind Public Radio series, which I began hosting back in 1997. Our program recognizes how hard it can be, but also how necessary, for us to hold on to our humanity. So we've sought out people with stories that illustrate how they approach that quest. To aim high, to treat others as we'd like to be treated, to see others as more similar to us than different, to strive for patience and personal grace even in adversity, to be part of the solution, not the problem. We hope our podcast helps to reinforce and inspire your own quest. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. They rise so high in this program. They come from such a low place of thinking everything is over in their lives to all of a sudden realizing that they have incredible purpose in their life. Rather than be defeated by cancer, young patients shift their focus and find a mighty inner strength. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. In Durham, North Carolina, Eric Seifert, the children's pastor at Kings Park International Church, had noticed his neck was swollen. He was itching all over and had been losing weight. He thought it might be a cold, but after visiting the doctor, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer. You know, obviously when you're, when you're 22 years old, you know, I'm not gonna die. It's not okay, you know, I'm, I'm young, you know, I don't die now, that's not what happens. Um, and, and so really it, it was a matter of, you know, well, you know, People with cancer get really sick. People with cancer can die. That could happen. What does that mean? And in in praying about it, I, I really just felt a complete peace um, in in my soul, deep inside, that um, I knew that God was taking care of me. I knew that God was going to continue to take care of me. Um, and really just praying through, okay, you have more for me to do. Was that your wish or your perception? That was my firm belief. Four years later, following aggressive chemotherapy and a bone marrow transplant, Eric's cancer is in remission. But even for people with deep religious faith, the outcome of cancer is not always survival. In Detroit, Rabbi Elimelech Goldberg recalls his beautiful first daughter, who battled leukemia from age one and passed away shortly afterward in 1983. Um, Our daughter had always been such a powerful little girl, which was evidenced by her ability to take extraordinary pain. Um, In those days, the bone marrow transplants were were so toxic that the the skin on her chest was slothing off, and her mouth was filled with, with sores, and she was having constant diarrhea and vomiting. And... I used to change into the scrubs that the residents wear and just lie there with her because the only place of comfort that she had was lying on my chest. 
And yet, through all of that painful experience, she would pat me on the back and say, it's, it's okay, Abba, Daddy, I love you. Amidst the sorrow of his loss, Rabbi Goldberg was led to ponder deeply the great questions of illness and health, life and death. He concluded that while on earth we do not write our own scripts, but rather are called to meet the challenges of the life story we are given. The anguish of losing a beloved child set the rabbi on a journey of exploration into his Jewish faith, his relationship with God, and ultimately into service for other kids afflicted with cancer. One day, while visiting a children's ward, he heard a young patient shrieking. So this boy was being held down by two nurses, and the third one is ready to dig the needle into his port. And to me, I just chanced upon the scene. It was counterproductive. It was counterintuitive, certainly. So I approached the head nurse and I said, do me a favor, give me five minutes with this child. I didn't have a clue what I was going to say to him. The nurses were more than happy to leave the room and to the boy, I was the governor, I just stayed his execution. And I walked up to this child and I said, I'm a black belt. And his eyes bugged out. For a five-year-old kid, a black belt is wow. And I said to him, you want me to teach you some karate? And he almost jumped off the table. He was so excited. I explained to him that in the martial arts you learn that pain is a message that you do not have to listen to. You can actually blow out that pain and bring in this light. Watch me do it. And I taught him a very simple Tai Chi breathing exercise. Five minutes later, the nurses came back. They only needed one. And 20 minutes later, when she took out the needle, and the whole time he's so calmly sitting there, he looks up at the nurse and he says, Did you do it yet? Rabbi Goldberg was motivated to bring the calming influence of martial arts training to other pediatric patients, and eventually he founded Kids Kicking Cancer with regional programs at a dozen hospitals in Michigan and New York. Dressed in white martial arts uniforms, children learn basic meditation techniques, and they're taught to visualize karate kicking as a symbol for breaking through their serious illness. Get in your stance. Go in your stance now. Get that energy going. Breathe in. Focus on the pad. There. Ha! That's it. One more time. Ha! All right. Good job. Good job. While the disease and the modalities of treatment okay. afford the children a vision or a message about themselves that they're weak, that they're sick, that they can die, that they're in control of nothing. We put uniforms on these children and we explain to them that they're very powerful. We have children who won't go into the hospital without their uniforms, because that's their power. In Detroit, Michael Hunt has attended martial arts training since age 10. He's now entering college. It's in remission now. Um, I had rhabdomyosis, sarcomas, cancer of the muscle. Um, had in my left side. Um, they took out four ribs in the tumor. Uh, martial arts have helped me go through those tough times. The meditation and coming every week with good people. 
we believe that um, inside of every human being there is a, there's a spark, there's a special light um, that's unique to that, to that human being, to that child, and that that is really the essence of the, of the person, of the child. Dr. Susan Garden, a clinical psychologist, is national director of Kids Kicking Cancer. The child is not um, a, a cancer patient or a cancer victim. The child is this individual with an incredible inner light and spirit and strength, soul, if you, if you want to call it that, chi, that's what martial artists refer to it as, the Asian term, and that the, the, the cancer is just something that's there also. All right, Instructor Rogers is going to lead you into meditation. Close your eyes. Just let your body relax, and as you relax, I want you to breathe in the light. Every time you breathe in, imagine you're breathing in the light, the energy. Let it start traveling through your body, in through your head, down your shoulders. We really focus on that inner spiritual part of the child um, throughout our program. And what does it mean to focus on that? Are you, are you trying to call it forth? It, it is within the child. We just allow the child to be aware that they have this inner strength. Because a child that's very, very sick is focused on the pain of their body, and they're not focused on the inner light. They feel defeated because everything in their life has fallen apart. Um, so we remind them that there is an inner part of them that is very, very strong, that is the strongest part of them. With the meditation, the power of breathing that we're doing, it, we push out all the pain and darkness. And, and uh, it ha also helped when I had my back surgery. So it uh, makes me feel more in control. With dealing with cancer, you don't really feel that much in control. With going through the chemo and the surgeries and different things. Most of our classes are done in, in the hospital. We've had kids come down on active morphine only to not need it after the class. We've had kids, a lot of kids, in wheelchairs. And we teach them how to fight from the wheelchair. But the real fight is the ability to, again, reach inside for that power. And probably most significantly about the environment is that we train the children how important they are for each other. That's the, the circle concept. That's the children giving the energy from themselves to someone else. And really, what's unique about this energy is that the more you give, the more you have, the more you are. We give a black belt to children who are dying. And on the black belt, we write the words, Master Teacher. That's embroidered on the black belts. The other side, we embroidered their name. And we've had children get up at the end of their lives, sometimes in front of hundreds of their family and friends, and describe that this is an honor that they're getting because they've defeated their cancer. They're not angry. They're not afraid. If anything, they're more closely connected to God and the people around them. These are Christians and Muslims and Jews and, and whatevers, but they feel a greater connection greater power, not less power.
Dinner time at the home of Patrick Darty, an international development worker based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Although the family is very relaxed now, times were considerably tenser not long ago when Patrick was diagnosed with a tumor lodged near the section of his brain affecting motor control. Shortly afterward, he underwent surgery in Boston. When I woke up and I came to, they had a whole team of doctors around uh, asking me about the, um, my mode of function. Can I feel this? Can I see this? Smile, you know, talk. What kind of an attitude did you take with you into brain surgery? Um, because I had a wife and a young daughter, I just showed up. I was showing up with um, probably an attitude of confidence in my God and confidence in my doctor or the doctors and um, an unwillingness um, to show any kind of concern or fear uh, to my, especially to my daughter. So. I went in, this is a matter of fact, this is what we've got to do, and this is what I'm doing, and uh, I'm not going to flinch on it. You were not revealing to your daughter fear. Were, were you privately in dread, or were you able to hold fast to your confidence in God? That's hard to say. Um, you know, I think that I was, for the most part, holding fast to my confidence in God. But I think underlying that, um, we'd moved the bed, uh, one of the beds from upstairs down to this porch, you know, which is bright and sunny. Uh, and, you know, it's all windows and doors and nice wood. Um, because we didn't know what kind of shape I was going to be in, whether I was going to lose motor function, uh, whether I'd be able to speak or walk or use my right hand or see or what, you know. And so, yeah, I suppose there was, there must have been some trepidation somewhere inside of me, but I wasn't um, allowing myself to tap into that. Um, you know, I was going for the surgery and we'll see what, what it's like when I open my eyes. You're going to have to deal with this and you're going to have to continue to rely on God, right? So then I went through the operation and the radiation and the chemo. And uh, my doctor, my oncologist, who I greatly respect, um, she, uh, and she's young and she's a brilliant research scientist and I intend to stay with her and uh, they're looking for cures, but uh, she's continually telling me that she can't cure me. What they, the best they can do is they can hope to put it to sleep, right? Patrick realized that state-of-the-art medical treatment, even with its skillful caregivers and powerful technical tools, could offer only part of his response to cancer. Born into Catholicism, he has long explored many traditions, visiting houses of worship in different religions on his world travels. Patrick's odyssey through cancer has also been a spiritual journey, prompting visits to a healing service at a nearby church, Native American sweat lodge in Canada, a renowned healer in Brazil and elsewhere. He regularly practices meditation at his home in Cambridge.
I knew early on that this was a, a spiritual push, you know. Um, that the diagnosis of brain cancer was going to be something to prod you forward in your spiritual path? Not, not even prod, just a big push, you know. Now's the time to, uh, you know, turn up the heat. Does that mean that your encounter with a brain tumor makes you get real, get more honest about reality? Probably. I mean, just in the family alone, you know, where just to put more love out there, you know, um, when you know your days could be numbered. Now, they may not be any more numbered than, you know, I could live for another 20 years and get run over by a bus, you know. And, and die another way. But nonetheless, as um, I think some British generals said one time, that there's nothing like the prospect of hanging in the morning to focus one's mind. You know, and uh, it, it's a call to duty. It's a call to love. It's a call to do all the things that, you know, that you re you're in your heart of hearts, your authentic self, you know, uh, uh, wants you to do. If I have an, an option of, you know, being loving or, or being cranky, you know, I'm going to try to be loving. You know what I'm saying? Um, the sp spiritual work at the, at the grassroots. I know somebody who got breast cancer who now refers to it retrospectively as the fabulous gift. Comedian and cancer survivor Marion Groden. I mean, I'm not there, but to her it was a gift from her higher power because it was something that taught her a tremendous amount about how to live differently and how to live in the face of challenges. And, you know, if you can see what can be gotten from every experience, I mean, there's a saying, I don't know if it's the gift of the present, and they call it the present because you really just have this moment and also that you don't know what forms all your gifts are coming in. I mean, some people would say when they go through stuff, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me, and then look back on it, five, 10, 15 years later and go, no, it wasn't, you know? This brought me to this, or this taught me this, or this changed me in this way, or this brought me closer to my higher power, this strengthened my faith. Marion believes her faith is a work in progress, an alternation of understanding and uncertainty, battles and breakthroughs. But spiritual belief doesn't immunize people from the natural phases of the life cycle. Of course, even people of deep faith do get sick and die. At the same time, not everyone is comfortable with the religious idea of a god. They often believe in something, maybe in the laws of nature, or perhaps they simply strive to lead a life of personal integrity without choosing a theological framework. Jonna Thomasus, an actress and writer in Los Angeles, has survived three cancers since adolescence. I feel the rug could be snatched out from under me so easily, if not cancer, then an ankle breaking or a home invasion robbery. All kinds of things. My mind goes to dark places all the time. Every time I go to bed, I always think those things. And so what I just, what I try and do is Take a deep breath, 
look at the present moment, look at my husband who I love and my kitties who I love and, and play with them, like literally shift my focus away from that thought. I acknowledge that thought. I don't beat myself up for having that thought. And I then switch my focus to the present moment at which time there is no home invasion robber. There's simply a loving husband, a pretty house, two nice kitties. Is there spiritual faith for you? Um... Faith in a higher power? I can't answer that question. I don't know. I'm learning. I'm learning, I think, about the miraculousness of life and all of us here on this planet together. And it makes me happy. You're listening to Humankind. For more information, visit humanmedia.org. Reverend Gwendolyn Collins is a survivor of three cancers in Boston. She has also founded two volunteer organizations offering support and counseling for cancer patients. Um, There was a point that I felt my faith leaving, and I fought it. And I know a lot of people don't have that in them, but I really fought. I have... um, several clients through the um, counseling center, their faith has just been beaten down. They don't believe anything anymore. Their outlook on life is that. So anything bad happens to me, it was supposed to. That, That very negative attitude or going around saying, negative things. Oh, this is going to be a bad day. How do you know you just woke up? You know, or my life sucks. Or the classic, God's not listening. So why do I care? And again, you have to allow people to talk. You have to allow them to vent. I've had people just curse. Oh my gosh. And the only thing I tell them is that don't hit me. You can do anything else. Don't hit me. Don't try to throw anything around my office other than that. Whatever you need to do. People hurt and trying to meet them where their hurt is. The faith uh, was one thing that, that I struggled with. And I think a lot of people struggle with faith, particularly in a situation like this. In Raleigh, North Carolina, Andy Delbridge worked as chief executive officer of a small hospital. Headaches in that stressful job might seem normal, but in Andy's case, they were the first symptom of a five-inch brain tumor leading to surgery within two days of the diagnosis in 2002. While in the hospital, a body scan revealed that Andy also had kidney cancer, for which he later underwent surgery. At the time of this interview, he was in complete remission. He deeply understands the emotional earthquake felt by cancer patients. They do want to blame somebody. They want to have anger, and the anger's fine, but uh, the anger's often directed towards God, and why did, you, why did this make me happen? Why did you do this to me? I was on a good track here. I was doing things great. Why, what happened? And I think you just, you, the faith is so important. Um, that I struggled with fate for a long time. Holy 
I, I mean, I had gone to church and had done a lot of things within the realm of church, but uh, I was too busy with my career. I had a, my family. I was too busy there. So it, faith was not something that um, I just figured it, it, it was there. But uh, when something happens like this, your faith is rocked. In my, in my situation, it was. You have six months to live. You know, well, this treatment, uh, we, we don't know if it's going to do well or not. I mean, there's so much negative brought into a, a terminal ill situation that unless you do have a lot of strength and faith, I mean, it will just bowl you over in that sense. And to realize that I may not be with my children, you know, I may not see them graduate, those kind of things, it plays in your mind sometimes. And as God intervenes and gives you that quiet moment or gives you that strength to go do that next MRI, and fortunately that MRI comes out as clean, positive, hey, you're you building on it, you're building again. And so do you see your current condition of being cancer-free as a sign of God's mercy? And his blessing, I do. I do indeed. Um, will it come back? It, it may come back. It may come back tomorrow. It may come back like two years from now. I don't know. And if it does come back, will that indicate that God has withdrawn his blessing and no. mercy? No. He has given me a blessing by letting me live this long. I mean, I, I could have been out a year and a half ago, but I've got an extra year and a half to be with my family, to get some things right, and if he gives me another year and a half or another three years, whatever it may be, I'm going to take it and do the best I can. In my position, I was always seen as someone who manages, telling people what to do, those kind of things. The CEO. The CEO. But, you know, now I'm in a position of where I want to be the server. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to serve people. And uh, that's why I, my wife and I got involved in the soup kitchen, uh, different things within church. But uh, so I see my role has changed dramatically, and I don't even want to do that type anymore. I want to be with the people, serve the people. In societies around the globe, spiritual traditions include prayers uttered for the health of loved ones or friends. It's a natural impulse to wish well-being for someone we care about, especially when they're ill. Because the practice is so widespread, science has recently begun to investigate it seriously. Physician and best-selling author Larry Dossi. I think prayer, David, has always taken a backseat because it's not something you can hold in your hand and see as you can a, a scalpel or a, a medication of some sort. Uh, it's uh, really only in the last uh, few years that increasing attention has been given to prayer because of increasing evidence that, frankly, it works. If prayer can have a healing effect, what is the role of traditional medical treatment? Cancer survivor Andy Delbridge in Raleigh. I see the doctor as an integral part of the treatment of myself. Um, I, I believe that God can use a physician, can direct his ways, his paths, what course of medicine that you take. Is that medicine going to work? He can help that medicine work. I believe that prayer is important and positive thinking is important and that, you know, God can use these drugs to make a person better. 
I mean, I don't think that I've just walked in and said, oh, my faith is better than anybody else, and therefore I'm going to get well. I think God uses a variety of methods to do that, and when it's through medicine, when it's through people around you, my wife, uh, my friends who are doing prayer, intercessory prayer for me, uh, my family, my, family, my sisters, and, I mean, it's just been, it's a whole network of people working together. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Medical oncologist Dr. Leo Stolbach. Special thanks to the Islamic Society of Boston. Additional music from the CD Ayurveda Art of Being by Rasa Music. Our program is presented by Human Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, part two of The Power of Belief, is Humankind Program number 98. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org, and at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.